After years of waiting, many, many years, many, many decades, they've been looking for this. And then we got it done, and we've been waiting for a long time for Nancy Pelosi to announce USMCA. And she did it on the same day that they announced that they are going to impeach. The 45th President of the United States, and your favorite president, I think. What I'd like to see happen is for this thing to get over as soon as possible. Uh, I don't want to give it any legitimacy because it's a crock. Call transcript shows no quid pro quo. We have put forth our articles of impeachment. I'm very proud of all the committees. Six committees have been working on this for a very long time. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So did everyone notice when Lindsey Graham in the Senate Judiciary hearing yesterday went full Edward Snowden, Malcolm X, he became a dashing, swashbuckling crusader for civil liberties? That's right. Our Lindsey was gravely, retroactively concerned about how Martin Luther King had been persecuted by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI in the 1960s. Now, let's remember that Hoover, among other things, sent King a letter calling him a sexual psychotic and urging him to kill himself. So there's that. Anyway, why'd you get religion on surveillance now, Lindsey Graham? Oh, that's right. Because King's plight with the FBI pales in comparison, Lindsey said, to that of Carter Page, the Russia-embedded foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump, whom the FBI rightly investigated in 2016 and would have been remiss if they hadn't investigated. So what does Russia valet Carter Page have in common with Martin Luther King in Graham's view? Well, the FBI told King to commit suicide and the FBI botched 17 things in getting a warrant to investigate Page. Quite a parallel. Oh, and then after his high dudgeons, his high South Carolina dudgeon about violations of privacy, Graham performed one of his dramatic readings of the private texts of Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. SMH. Graham didn't fake an orgasm while reading Page and Strzok's texts as the president of the United States did, but Graham read them with the usual prurience. Still, Michael Horowitz, who was testifying on the IG's review of the origins of the Russia investigation, didn't take Graham's bait. He said over and over, there was no bias in the investigation, the FBI was not acting like J. Edgar Hoover, and thus the investigation that culminated in the Mueller report is sound. Now, we at Trumpcast, and really we all across sane land, have known this for, oh, ever. Anyway, today, the so-called markup conversation is going on in the House Judiciary. They're wrangling over the articles of impeachment, which means we are a step further to full-blown impeachment, which is at least good. My guest today to talk impeachment, national security, and what's next is Mika Oyang. She's the vice president for Third Way's national security program, and she is a centrist par excellence. And as she says, committed to closing the credibility gap between Democrats and Republicans on security issues and crafting a national security strategy that is both tough and smart. Welcome back, Mika. Thanks so much for having me. So just as we were getting started, I asked you about your actual mood because I'm not doing so well. I'm having more nightmares about Bill Barr and just wondering how we got to this impasse. And I'm not as buoyed up by the impeachment as I hoped I would be. How about you? 
Yeah. So at the end of the day, they're not going to remove the president from office. So it sort of feels like he's going to get away with it again. And that really drives people crazy. And then listening to the markup today, like I could feel my blood pressure rising because it's like, you know, there's Mm. a person like when you're in college, there's that person who's like super annoying in their argument. And then they make these sort of like ridiculous arguments that sort of seem extreme. And you're like, come on, like, who are you? Um, Yeah. The whole Republican side of this feels like that. You know, you're right. The first debate I remember doing in high school, I mean, I wasn't on any kind of club, but we just did it in social studies, was about the drinking age. And there were people who wanted to keep it at 18 were always made the same case. If you can go to war, man, you can have a beer. And it was just like every time you started to talk about statistics, if you can go to war, I mean, I think Jim Jordan, they sounded like Jim Jordan. Right. That's sort of very adversarial, like pugilistic, belittling tone. And at the end of the day, it's like, can you stop for a second and acknowledge how this feels from the other side? And right, like credit some of these arguments and that presidents shouldn't do this. Like, I think some of the people like Will Hurd is a little bit more honest in that he's like, look, this is wrong. And now he says it's not impeachable. Like, I disagree with that. But like, I have more respect for the people who can say presidents shouldn't just do this. They shouldn't put pressure on foreign countries to investigate their rivals, even when it looks really shady. Yeah. Like, and I think Democrats have to acknowledge, right, this whole Hunter Biden situation looks really shady, but like everybody who runs for president's got a relative where you're just like, oh, God, I wish this person just wasn't. Wasn't there Billy Billy Carter and Roger Clinton? And yeah, yeah, and I think even Hugh Rodham is kind of a mess. Like Barack Obama's brother in Kenya. Like there are people who it's like, let's just keep you out of the limelight and not bring you close. Now, Obama's like, he wasn't particularly close to him, so it was, like, different. He didn't have one of those relatives that you're like, oh, God, why do we have to keep explaining this person? Yes. And, like, I get it. it. Biden, you know, you're supposed to love all your children even when they screw up. Here's my worry about the fact that Biden and Burisma are coming up in the hearing going on today in the House, even as we speak. My fear is that Trump wanted an announcement that Joe Biden was under investigation. Just put him under a pall. And guess what? He got it. Right. Right. Like you and I are even talking about Hunter Biden. And that means that Trump is still cheating, that this phone call, he didn't get the announcement from President Zelensky. He got it better yet all day, every day, not just on Fox, but on all the news networks who are playing these hearings. Right. And he doesn't even need Zelensky anymore. Right. Like the Republicans. And he might have sidelined. I know Biden's okay in the polls, but I mean, to me, Biden looks, I mean, just as a way to bedevil someone, which is sort of what Trump likes to do with Yavanovich and with uh, Lisa Page, just just wreck someone's life. Yeah. Biden's life does not look like it's doing very well right now. No. He looks exhausted. He's lost two children, a third already, Hunter already lost to addiction. And just on a personal level, this is really devastating to the Democratic frontrunner in the primary. Right. And while this is one of the things, like, we overlook this in the conversation about, like, why Biden didn't intervene why the vice president didn't intervene with his son to be like, you can't be doing this. It's like, right, it was glossed over in the open hearing testimony. But the reason that was given from the vice president's office to George Kent when he was like, you guys, this is not cool, was like, we get it. But he just doesn't have the bandwidth right now because Bo Biden was in the process of dying. 
right? Like you think about the tragedy of like Biden losing his first wife and their children early on in his political career. And now his son, who's like his big hope, who's the good son, right? Yeah. Who's like, right, going to run for office and follow in his father's footsteps. That son is the one who is dying from cancer. And this is the thing. And it's like the other son, who's the screw up, is like the one that the Republicans want to focus on, like dragging down and like raising this personal toll to Biden. And it's like, this is like a tragedy for a guy who just, doesn't deserve it. Like everyone says, Joe Biden is a fundamentally decent human being. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. and to make this the thing, it's like people say this all the time. The cruelty is the point, right? Like there is yes. no grace in in anything that the president's doing here. That's right. You know how Adam Schiff starts with Trump made the call to President Zelensky the day after Mueller testified, and that just seems the most galling and infuriating to Schiff when he thinks about that, because there's something so I don't know what's a step ahead of audacious. There's something so brazen and almost sick about, well, I got away with cheating. You know, I got Barr in and he misrepresented the findings. And then Mueller stumbled a little bit through his testimony and I got away with it. And so I'm going on to the next thing. I mean, I imagine that he got stuck in military school by his father because that's the way he got by in high school. So then he makes this call, which to Schiff and people with their eye on the ball of election interference represents yet another effort to solicit foreign interference in an election election coming up. He's going to do it again. And as Mueller says, he's doing it again as we speak. And I mean, as we, you and I speak. Yeah. Like Giuliani's in Ukraine. Giuliani is in Ukraine. Barr is making these strange gallivanting around the world, doing whatever nefarious Barr stuff. Right. And it's so demoralizing because if he's cleared in the Senate and he keeps cheating, he might win again. I take comfort in a couple of things. One is the 2018 midterm elections. Yes. Like it was just overwhelming. Independents who had been with Trump before went overwhelmingly against him. You look Mm -hmm. at all the races that Democrats have run in since then, right? Kentucky governor, Mm -hmm. Louisiana governor, like Democrats are winning in deep red states and coming close in even deeper red states. So it's like the national mood on Trump is like not great for Republicans, right? Democrats picked up the Virginia House. Like they can like now rewrite the districts there, right? Like there's so much stuff that's like Democrats are picking up at the local level that's just incredible. North Carolina is becoming more blue every day. So like when you look at the electoral map, things are getting better, right? Like Mm -hmm. people are talking about putting Texas and Georgia into play, like probably not going to win them, but, you know, make them spend money there. They can't sort of direct that money to other states, other battleground Mm -hmm. states. They have to spend it defending deep into their territory. So that's one thing that I think is really valuable. The other thing, and I think this gets lost in sort of Trump's like, yeah, well, I'm going to get away with it, just like Bill Clinton and Andrew Johnson. Mm. Donald Trump will be the first president of the United States ever in our history who will be on the ballot for re-election after going through impeachment. Bill Clinton was in his second term. Andrew Johnson didn't win the Democratic nomination after he was impeached. Right, right. right. um, Super fun trivia fact. The Democratic National Convention slogan that Andrew Johnson was not picked at was, Mm -hmm. it's a white man's country, let the white man rule. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was like during Reconstruction, post-Civil War. I mean, they were straight up racist, right? So like if Andrew Johnson's your analogy, uh, well, you know, he didn't get his next term. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The two things to look at that will make this election different are turnout on the one hand and um, and also if every single person who voted for Hillary Clinton votes for the Democrat, which I have looked far and wide to find one person who's who voted for Hillary Clinton and then said, you know what, Trump's not that bad. I'm going to vote for him. He's come <laughs> right, around right, to right. Trump. I can't find one person. And you know, you know, every type of voter has somehow made themselves heard in this time. If you're a Trump switcher, if you're listening, please, please call Trumpcast. So anyway, <laughs> so let's say all of them vote. So he then it's the 70,000 votes in those swing states that it goes to. And there turn out an energized independents who want to vote against Trump will seemingly make the difference. But here's one thing. I had been betting that... And this is where we get back to Schiff and these hearings. I had been betting that the indictment and imprisonment of the Dirty Tricks crowd, Manafort Stone, the renewed attention to correcting voter suppression in the states, the indictment of the IRA, the sidelining of Breitbart and Cambridge Analytica and the Kochs, that all those things would tamp down the cheating substantially. But now some friends of mine in the Infowar business say that there's an H-bomb coming. There's worse than 2016. Cheating. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, it's the Russians who want him to stay. He's been yeah. the most divisive force in American politics, dividing us from each other, shaking our relationship with Ukraine, which they desperately want, shaking our relationship with NATO, which they also want. Like, there's no one better that they could have ever had be president of the United States to pursue Russia's foreign policy aims. So are they going to put all of their social media, cyber, dirty tricksters, to bat for Trump, 100%. Have they changed up their tactics since 2016? 100%. So like, yes, it could be bad. But one of the things that I think people should take comfort in is it's very hard to actually hack the voting machines. Yeah. They're controlled at the local level. They're not centralized. It's just very hard to do that. So like the actual count will be okay. The real question is whether or not they can hack our minds, right? Whether or not mm -hmm. they can convince us that oh, well, the Democrats, not really the kind of candidates that you want, and maybe you should just stay home, or they're all corrupt, or like, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some of them aren't looking out for your interest on whatever, or they're socialist, whatever the thing is going to be, they're going to mm -hmm. pick whatever they can to try and suppress certain communities from turning out. And they're going to mm -hmm. try and do that in very particular states. And so we have to be really vigilant for that. But mm -hmm. this is one of those areas where like, you know, the Republicans keep saying, oh, well, it's the judgment of the voters in 2020 that really matters. We shouldn't go through this impeachment thing. And like at the end of the day, I think Pelosi agrees it's the judgment of the 2020 voters that matters. Right. And this is why, like, I think what she did earlier this week on the impeachment announcement and then the, yeah. an hour later on the USMCA was actually brilliant. Like there's some uh, people on some other podcasts who were like, <laughs> what is she doing? Like this is political <laughs> malpractice. How could she possibly give Trump a win? And it's like, honestly, if you think that Nancy Pelosi is doing something wrong politically that she's doing deliberately, you need to stop and ask yourself, like, what am I missing? Because she's <laughs> obviously the most brilliant tactician in American politics. She's yeah. got reasons. Yes. So like, what's her reason here? To me, when I look at that and look at her thinking on this, it's all about the people who gave her the majority and gave her the gavel and the people who won those deep red and Trump districts who are running for reelection. And even if he wins, she needs to make sure that she still has the gavel because she is the only thing standing between us and complete GOP takeover. Mm -hmm. So for those people to be able to say this isn't just about Trump and impeachment, this we're trying to get stuff done and we're trying to get something done that matters a lot to unions in, say, upper Midwest states, yes, then yes. like all that's really important.
The second guessing Nancy Pelosi is something that my buddy Karen Schwartz warns me against all the time because it's definitely so much fun to try to backseat drive with her. And lots of people seem to be willing to take this on. But as you say, she's the master and she's the Gary Kasparov here and good luck outthinking her. And to throw more than a bone to the AFL CIO today was just masterful. Oh, yeah. Like it was union voters in those upper Midwest states. Yes, exactly. OK, I like that. Now, here's the thing. So so if energizing the unions is one way the Democrats are going to go, I'm starting to see in these hearings, and we have the markup hearing going on right now, I'm starting to see the outlines of, you know, what's an exceedingly bad, bullheaded, uh, cartoony argument, but what's an argument nonetheless from the likes of Jim Jordan and the rest of the kind of carnies, which is that this is the impeachment is to overturn an election. It's to take away the voices of Trump voters. And moreover, it's because everybody hates Trump voters and thinks that someone even like Jim Jordan or Mark Meadows are hicks and witness the condescension of Pamela Carlin toward conservatives who she uh, joked about being so spread out because they can't stand to be around each other. And all of this amounts to elaborate kind of patronizing by coastal technocrats like Carlin, like, of course, Hillary Clinton, who don't get the red-blooded, you know, parenthetically white male like Jordan, and thus they have to fight back to get their voices heard. I mean, you're hearing that, right? Oh, yeah. No, it's very clear that, right, they're trying to build up this sense of grievance, which, like, I was just talking to a reporter who was at the Trump event in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and, like, oh, yeah. it's full of that kind of grievance. Like, everyone's angry, and they're out to get you, and, like, they don't understand, and they're laughing at you. And it's like, no. They're not. But that's the and we talked about passing the Bechdel test. I mean, that's the terror of being laughed at that men have. And what's kind of crazy is Jim Jordan is currently being dogged by a truck reminding everyone that he had some part in the Strauss sexual abuse of boys at OSU. And he's laughed at all the time, parodies of him happening all the time. So he is sensitive to the idea of being laughed at. And if he can spread that or being persecuted, if he can spread that to voters or embody that for voters, they might feel the same way. Oh, yeah. Well, it's him and like Devin Nunes, right? Like Devin Nunes is suing a Twitter account called Devin Nunes Cow. Right. Like, like, obviously, that's parody. Like, you can't laugh off a Twitter account that's a cow. Like, yes. What are you doing? Right. Like, and, you know, there was a great L.A. Times article about Devin Nunes constituents. They said you're more likely to be sued by him than to see him in a town hall meeting. Like (laughs) there is this sort of like real fragility when it comes to these guys like, you know, Trump, Nunes, Jordan that like cannot handle even the least criticism of what they're doing. And you see this like with Republicans like Mitt Romney, who come out with like the mildest criticism being like, Mm. well, you know, I wouldn't do it this way or I have concerns about this. And Trump is like blasting them. Fox News does some stuff. And then Trump's like, I'm going to take your viewers over to the One America Network. It's like he cannot handle the least little bit of criticism. And he's like trying to project strength. But it just like seems to me like tremendous insecurity. Your organization you work for, Third Way, and you yourself, to Mm -hmm. me, model equanimity. So I'm going to try to be also sort of mimic (laughs) your balance. I thought there were a couple of interesting moments in these otherwise disturbing or often disturbing hearings that suggested... 
that suggested something like an acknowledgement among Republicans that this president is a shit show. And here's where I saw them. Hmm. So Turley, the sort of constitutional scholar for the Republicans who testified that Trump should not be impeached, that what he's done is not impeachable, really did foreground. And I know that it was to make him sound not biased, but is one of the only figures who's testified, who's talked about his vote. And what he did was say, I voted against Trump. And as you point out, Trump doesn't hear and he shouldn't be impeached because of the Constitution, because facts, because reasons. He hears, that's an asshole who voted against me. Yeah. You know, and I think also viewers do, too. And when you hear that a very that a very balanced, learned person, conservative, right, voted Mm -hmm. against Trump, that might give voters pause to say, all right, well, maybe he shouldn't be impeached, but maybe this even-handed guy is on to something. And I mean, he explicitly said, I voted against Trump. I mean, he might have said, he might have said anything. He could have said, I'm a lifelong Democrat. He could have said nothing. Right. He could have said, like Fiona Hill and the others did, I'm apolitical. I don't talk about who I vote for, but he foregrounded that. And I think that was a way of keeping his credibility, even as he made the anti-impeachment case. Because some people, even if not Jim Jordan, Bill Barr, Rudy Giuliani, have their eye on their legacies. And they don't want to go down as a Trump cultist. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of Republicans who are heading for the exit to feel that way, right? Like Rooney and uh, like Will Hurd mentioned earlier. Yep. A few of those folks were like, I'm not walking the plank for this guy. Like, I want to try and get out of this with my integ- get out of the house with my integrity intact. And what's interesting yeah. is actually been the negotiations in the Senate over how the trial will be conducted. Because right, the president wants this giant spectacle, attacking Adam Schiff, calling the whistleblower, doing all this other stuff, calling Hunter Biden, right? Like all these sort of collateral distraction issues, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which would literally turn it into a circus. The Democrats, and you saw this in Daniel Goldman's testimony, very straightforward. These are the facts. Goldman made very little reference to himself except to say, I'm a career prosecutor, so you should know that I'm thorough when I do this kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But like the whole thing was just about like, this is what the president did and this is the evidence that we have, right? Like walking through it. Mm -hmm. Very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Senate Republicans do not want the president's circus. They just want it like over and done. They want Mm -hmm. to like have the presentations from the councils and the managers and then vote and just be like, it's over, right? Like they do not want to engage Mm -hmm. in the kind of character assassination and distraction that the president wants. The other person I was going to cite as maybe, maybe, and I I wrote today in the LA Times about Lindsey Graham likening Carter Page to Martin Luther King, of all people, and suddenly being all anti-surveillance, Lindsey Graham absurd. But there were some things from Lindsey Graham yesterday in the Senate Judiciary hearing about the Horowitz report Hmm. that I thought were maybe even just semi-consciously powerful, but there were many, many times when Graham was laboriously quoting the Page Strzok texts that Graham seemed to side with Page and Strzok about the president's shortcomings. Do you re- I mean, over and over he kept saying, and there are many Americans who feel as Page and Strzok did, that, you know, he would be a nightmare. He would, he's a douche. He I quoted mean, douche. Graham's got like a whole history of tweets about basically exactly. saying the same thing. Like what Page and Strzok was actually less critical of the president I know. than Lindsey Graham's public Twitter record. Exactly. He said, we'll be destroyed and we will, you know, and we'll deserve right. it. And, and, and incidentally, those tweets from him, I don't know why I went down this rabbit hole, but are almost 
almost be exactly dated in, con you know, in sync with the Strzok page texts. Right. Which, as you say, are much more moderate. So when he says lots of us might have shared this sentiment, you know, he wants like Turley, I think, to be on record as saying, I don't think this is I don't think this guy deserves our vote. Almost. 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 Well, I mean, I think he thinks he deserves their vote more. But like, <laughs> yeah. yes, right. that's right. He always reminds us that he ran too. I know. No, but it was like somebody just posted on Twitter like some testimony from a mob guy in a trial who was talking about how they got to Trump. And I was just thinking like, man, you oh, yes. guys in the 2016 Republican primary, you were really bad at oppo research. Like. All this stuff that oh. everybody has gotten now about, like, the Trump charities and being mobbed up and relationship with Russia. Like, why didn't you use any of that stuff before? Well, because of the Horowitz investigation, I find myself going back to the dread 2016 election because <sighs> all roads lead backward. And I, I've got to say it's the yeah. Republicans that seem to want to relitigate that period far more than than the losers. But in that period it was so crazy and 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 extraordinary what Trump was doing and had done and that he'd had a discrimination racial discrimination lawsuit against him in his early days that he'd gunned for you know he'd said Mexicans were rapists he'd raped people right exactly he had rape charges he'd been sued a million times he'd been bankrupt that it was almost impossible if you even if you were going to do a very focused swift boating thing, you know, and people were certainly listening, you know, you were going to do one of those just scorched earth Republican style, you know, I, what we would have called then dirty tricks, but look clean as a whistle now, swift boating right. or like, Willie Horton. Right. They would right? have been made up. They would have been actual things yes. that he had yes. done. Yes. But they also made you sound kind of crazy. I mean, when you talk to your friends in New York and they said, well, don't you remember the Central Park Five? And, you know, and you could say about Back. This guy has no political experience or whatever. Every single thing you said about him was so appalling. It's like David Korn says, if you have a tablecloth with one big spot on it, the swift boating, the spot, the red wine, you know, stain looks bad. But if it's all covered with red wine stains, then it then right, it, it just then looks it, red. <laughs> it just looks red. Yes. And just the hysteria around that time. And even, by the way, were you brought up short a little bit by Horowitz's or by the quoting in the hearing of the pro-Trump FBI agents in New York. Oh, no, I knew that was a thing. Yes, but I mean, I knew they were pro-Trump, but the language of those texts. Oh, I, to be fair, I did not see those texts. I was okay. I can, so, like I was in and out during the Horowitz hearing, so I didn't like I only saw pieces of it. All right. I will send them to you. They oh. are absolutely bizarre. So one of them says they say, you know, it's like watching a Super Bowl comeback. They're very energized by the victory. And that sounds like normal people cheering a victory. But then one says to the other Trump excl exclamation point. I think I can get this right. Trump exclamation point. Um, ha ha, shit just got real, right? Which is like, okay. And then, oh yeah, on my way to work, I saw all these scared people. Those motherfuckers are going to have to look for new jobs. What? Like, that's not what I sounded like when I was happy about Obama's election or what no. people sounded like when they were happy about George W. Bush's election. They sound like, we got a new mob family in town. The Gambinos are here. We're going to control waste management in this town. So, oh you know, the other families have to leave. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't Who know has to get new about. jobs? No. And, you know, it's like I have been reflecting on this for a while. I should write something yeah. on it. But like this idea of like reciprocity and that like you project on other people the things that you do, right? Like, or the things that you think. I'm like... 
when you hear the Republicans talk about like, well, everyone's corrupt or like you just impeach because it's about politics or, you know, like going after Hunter Biden for making money off of his father's name. I just think like every single one of these are things that it's really Trump doing, right? Like when they're like, well, Schiff should testify. And it turns out Nunes is like a fact witness and like he should actually testify. Yes, that's right. I forgot even about that. What was that? You know, seven years ago last week. I know. It's like right earlier last week. The whole thing, it's like everything that they say is like that they accuse the Democrats of. It turns out later are things that they have done. And it's just like the sort of reciprocity principle between the two sides is like, it's very different. I think about this a lot in the context of foreign policy, a little digression here, because that's the thing I spend most of my time on. And yes. like one of the things that I find really hard with liberals and foreign policy, and I see this playing out in the Democratic primary, is like, there's a real inability to deal with people who are bad in the world and threats to us, like mm-hmm. Kim Jong Un and like Putin. It's like, well, we should negotiate with them. And if we just treat them better, right? Like, we just don't treat terrorists badly, they'll stop attacking us. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I think there's like a real, right, it's so not in the DNA of liberals to think like, well, I'm going to behead some people or I'm going to feed my uncle to the dogs. Like they would never think that. So it's like so really hard to understand, like, how do you deal with someone who is just so dark and horrible? Trump, on the other hand, is like, I get it, right? I get how you'd lure one of your critics into the embassy in Istanbul and then like start chopping them into pieces like the sort of what's inside you as reflected outward on the other side it's like there is something really really terrible going on there I do think there's something really instructive about what's happening in in that reflection I try to hear in, say, Lindsey Graham yesterday, I try not to think, well, every time the Republicans speak, it's like a dragon, you know, try to say, like, he's a trained lawyer and these things add up in a certain way and there's a certain amount of reason to this. But at the same time, it seems important to be able to predict, you know, to some extent what will happen next, because as Jerry Nadler said, if he's not removed we may be in for a dictatorship. And this is where I want to address you as an expert on national security. What do you think Russian and other foreign intervention is going to look like in 2020, this year? Like one of those predictions, you know, in a style magazine about what's 2020 going to look like, but this time from the point of view of interventions. I think that there's a couple of things that we would expect to see. And I think some of those things are already happening. One is that like, there's going to be a lot more memes happening that sort of drive people away. And like Facebook is a vector for demonization and polarization on of seniors, right, is going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. They haven't figured out how to re-engineer the platform to make it something that's actually welcoming to people and doesn't sort of divide and take people down rabbit holes. The same thing is true on some of the um, issues related to radicalization of online content. I think that's, that's the thing that we're going to have to worry about. It's like the divisiveness and sort of trying to drive people to not have faith in the system. Yeah. Right, have that's skepticism right. about this. But the other thing that I really worry about, I was just talking to some folks about this, um, is actually dark money and especially foreign mm. dark money in this because there are two places where, or there are a bunch of places actually, but there are some places where um, it's really hard to track the money. And mm-hmm. as much as, you know, I think there's a sense that like, oh, the small dollar donations are the most virtuous, they're also the least trackable. Right. Like Mm. you don't know whether or not those donations are actually coming in via 
foreign sources. Now, and I'm sure a huge proportion of them are actually Americans, and that's great. But like, there are some candidates who, you know, get mentioned favorably a lot on RT, who seem to still have the money to run, but have no natural American constituency for what they are saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Tulsi Gabbard is the sort of poster child for this. But I do think there's some question of like, if you believe that American elections should be reserved for Americans, that the people who live in this country and who are part of this political system are the only ones who should decide how we are governed or how we govern ourselves, mm-hmm. then I think that there's some real questions about how foreign money is coming in. And like, look, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman were really ham-handed in how they transferred that money around. And now SDNY and the FBI are like all up in their financial transactions and they're going to be able to trace some of this, but they're not the yeah. only ones, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. These the scandals with the NRA getting a lot of Russian money and then the NRA onward making donations to Republicans. I think that there's a lot more foreign money swirling around our political system than we think. And that money has an agenda. I think that's right. Mika, you are the best. You are so good. You're so clarifying. Thank you. Thank you. That's our show for today. What did you think? We're here for your Twitter chatter, criticism, you name it. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. Also, are you a Slate Plus member yet? I'm not trying to shame you, but really go over to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus and become a Slate Plus member. You get Trumpcast and all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for the first year. Make it your 2020 treat to yourself and your friends. Best of all, you'll be supporting our work. So go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Merritt Jacob. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.